Jesus. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's a day of celebration for us. Every Sunday is a day of celebration. We worship on Sunday because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. That's what we're celebrating every Sunday morning. Uh, But today we're particularly celebrating our confirmation class and all of the hard work they put in over these last um, nine to ten months to work on preparing for this day and to make their professions of faith and to stand before you and become members of our church. And I'm mindful, there's been a lot you've had to do. A lot of hard work has gone into this. And I know that sometimes confirmation feels like the end of a journey. Um, And boy, it'll be great when we don't have to do sermon summary anymore. And I can't wait to stop doing homework. And um, being examined by the elders is pretty scary. And standing up on stage is pretty intimidating. So I want to let you know some good news and some bad news. The, the good news is we are immensely proud of you and all the work you've done. You have worked hard, uh, and, and we are so excited to celebrate your hard work and, and your faith together with you today. The bad news is the hard stuff isn't over. Uh, in fact, uh, as I think most of us are aware, um, following Jesus pretty much stays hard. Uh, and, and boy, it would be great if it didn't. It would be great if Following Jesus meant everything was flowers and roses all the time. Uh, Actually, uh, John Ortberg, one of my favorite um, pastors in America, uh, had a a great little video on this recently where he quoted Eugene Peterson, and he said, wouldn't it be great if it worked like this? Peterson says, the moment we say no to the world and yes to God, all our problems are solved, all our questions are answered, all our troubles are over. Nothing can disturb the tranquility of the soul at peace with God. Nothing can interfere with the blessed assurance that all is well between me and my Savior. We Christians are among that privileged company of persons who don't have accidents, who don't have arguments with our spouses, who aren't misunderstood by our peers, whose children do not disobey us. Uh, Yeah, that's not how it works, right? Uh, Some of you have a role in making that not how it works, but we'll get into that right now. The reality is following Jesus is hard, right? And it it, it stays hard. Um, And and I think there's something important in that for us to recognize today. Um, There's a movie I I love called A League of Their Own. Uh, It's a baseball movie about a women's baseball league. Uh, And I want to share a scene with you from um, the movie where Dottie, the, the star player, is leaving the team in the middle of the season and Jimmy, who's the coach, tries to talk her out of it. Dottie, write to us. We'll miss you. We will. Thanks. Good luck in the World Series. Taking a little day trip? No. Um, Bob and I are driving home to Oregon. You know, I really thought you were a ball player. Well, you were wrong. Was I? Yeah. It is only a game, Jimmy. It's only a game, and, and I don't need this. I have Bob. I don't need this. I don't. I, I gave away five years at the end of my career to drinking. Five years. And now there isn't anything I wouldn't give to get back any one day of it. 
Well, we're different. Dottie, you want to go back home to Oregon and make a hundred babies? Great. I'm in no position to tell anyone how to live. But sneaking out like this, quitting, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. It just got too hard. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. I love that last line, right? The hard is what makes it great. And I think this is true in any area of our life, right? The people that we look up to in our world and admire are people that have overcome hard things, people who have overcome illness or overcome economic adversity or people that have scratched and clawed to succeed when they didn't have the support and the family and uh, all the stuff that maybe some people take for granted. Um, we, we look at people that have fought wars and we say, wow, look at the hard that they had to deal with. The hard is what makes them great. Uh, sometimes I think we would like Christianity to be all about winning, right? Just everything goes well. Um, but Christians aren't winners, they're warriors. Uh, and, and Christ calls you to do a lot of hard things. And, and the hard is what makes it valuable. It's what makes it great. Uh, and actually, maybe I would say um, conquering the hard is what makes it great. Uh, we get a really interesting perspective of um, the hard and the Christian life that shows up in Revelation. And, and, and throughout the book of Revelation, we, we get a sense that the church is having a rough time, right? That the world is, is um, actively trying to repress or remove the church and her influence in the world. And, and what Revelation seems to most admire are those persons who, who see the hard and conquer it. Uh, and we, we get a really interesting perspective of kind of two battles that happen in this chapter. There's a battle that happens in heaven, right? We're going to come to that in a minute, between Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels. Uh, and then we get some conflict that happens on earth. Uh, the dragon is angry with the woman, meaning Israel or the church, and went off to make war on the rest of her children, those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. That's us, right? The, the church. Uh, and, and the invitation in this passage is that we become... Um, conquerors. They have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So, we get this perspective um, in the whole book of Revelation, but especially here, that there is this like spiritual conflict happening in our world. Uh, and, and this is really important, by the way, that the enemy of the church is not um, a political party, it's not a nation. It's not an economic philosophy. It's not um, the um, Methodists. So, I mean, obviously we have concerns, but still, um, <laughs> it, it's, I'm kidding. About, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, it's, it's not the soccer team. It's not um, the, the enemy of the church is a spiritual enemy. I mean, your enemy is not the person at work that's hardest to deal with. Your enemy is not even uh, the person in your life who is actively trying to make you less happy, um, your enemy is a spiritual one. Scripture says our enemies are not flesh and blood, but the spiritual powers in the heavenly realms. 
Um, oh, by the way, um, that means something really important for us. Now, that means uh, that in the midst of the hard stuff that comes in our life, we Christians are expected to make a distinction between the people being used by evil and evil. Now, there might be somebody in your life who has done horrible things Um, who is being used by evil. But we would say in the church, they're not evil themselves. They're being used by evil uh, just as we are sometimes, right? Just as we are sinners, they are sinners. Just as Christ died to redeem them, so He died to redeem us. Uh, And so part of the work of the church is to identify who we're fighting, right? If we're winners, if we're not winners but warriors, who are we at war with? It's not the other people It's this other being that shows up in our story um, called the dragon, called the ancient serpent from the book of Genesis, um, who Jesus most often calls Satan. Uh, And and we get a really interesting perspective on what our conflict looks with that enemy. Um, Our conflict with that enemy doesn't look the same as our earthly conflicts. Again, Um, John says, they, meaning us, the Christians, have conquered Him, meaning our spiritual enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not cling to life even in the face of death. This is really important just as our enemies and the hard things in our life are not like other earthly enemies, so too the way we deal with those hard things in our life is not the way we see the rest of the world dealing with their conflict. Um, I I love this story of David and Goliath. And um, I I love the idea that uh, David conquers Goliath in a way that's totally unexpected. And and I am concerned, and you've heard me say this before, that sometimes we read the story of David and Goliath, and we think the point of that story is, hey, sometimes the scrappy underdog who really wants it, who has a passion for things, can beat the more powerful bully. That is not the message of David and Goliath. David and Goliath's message is um, when we are fighting God's battles, when we're fighting against um, our spiritual enemies in the way we're designed to fight, um, our battle looks different. God says, the Lord does not save by sword and spear. Uh, When we come into the hard things of our life, when we come into uh, the crises that just are going to happen, it's so easy for us to say, hey, I'm going to battle this crisis in the same way the rest of the world battles their crisis. If I just get a little more money to put aside, a little more security, I'll be okay. Um, uh, If I can just one-up the other person in my office, then I'll keep my job, and maybe they'll lose their job, but at least I'll be secure. Uh, If I can just get in the last word in this conflict I'm having with my friend or my spouse or my child or my family member, if I get the last word in, then I'll feel better and they'll know that I was right and they were wrong. Scripture says the Lord doesn't save by sword and spear. Uh, Goliath isn't going to win because he has the best armor. And by the way, David's not going to win because he has more heart or because he's plucky or because he wants it more or because he believes in himself. David's going to win because he's trying to fight like God, with God and for God. So um, what does conquering the hard look like in our life? Well, we get a really interesting perspective of it here in Revelation. Um, 
This is a, this is a really weird chapter, but the whole book is weird. Um, but, but in this chapter, we didn't read the first five, six verses. The first few verses I mentioned, vision of the woman in heaven representing the church or Israel, vision of the, the dragon representing Satan. And then the woman gives birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Okay, that's Jesus. The very next thing that happens is where Nathaniel started reading, and war broke out in heaven. This is really intentional, okay? So Jesus is born, starts his reign, and war breaks out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, here's the, the question I need you to answer. I don't have to answer it out loud. Um, when does this happen? When does Michael and his angels throw Satan and his angels at heaven? Uh, I'll be honest, if you'd asked me this uh, at some point, I probably would have said, oh, well, that's at the beginning of time, right? Before the Garden of Eden and, you know, Satan gets kicked out of heaven. And um, that's not at all what our story says. Then I heard a loud voice, verse 10, in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah, for the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Um, what kicks Satan out of heaven? It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. Uh, in the Old Testament, Satan's always portrayed as a, a, a being in God's court accusing people, right? And he's there until the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus when he gets kicked out. And it's Jesus' victory on the cross that forces out Satan that begins um, this incredible victory. And, and by the way, that means that the good news for us is that we are warriors in a war that Christ is winning. We're warriors in a war that Christ has already won and, and we get a really interesting line to that point. Um, so the Scripture says Satan gets kicked out of heaven because of Jesus. And then it says, Woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath. Why? Because he knows his time is short. Isn't that interesting? Um, the, the source of all the hard in our life, um, the enemy um, that desires most um, to push us away from life and love and grace and God, uh, the enemy knows his time is short. Satan knows he's losing. There's been a lot of conversation about um, why Japan attacked the United States in World War II. And um, depending on which historians you read and which primary sources they cite, uh, there's some debate on this topic. Um, but it is clear that there are at least some of the high command of the Japanese Navy and Army who didn't really get along, um, who thought they should never attack the United States because it was a war they couldn't win. It's even more clear uh, that by 43 and 44, the Japanese had completely given up on um, conquering more territory. And they very explicitly, in their high command, they explicitly adapt a new strategy. And the strategy is a war of attrition. And here's the logic. The logic for the Japanese army is we cannot conquer any more territory. We're not going to beat all the allies at once. 
but we will fight with our last breath to make every step of ground so miserable to conquer that eventually they'll say, these little islands and these little places aren't worth our lives and our blood and our sweat and our tears, and they'll just leave us alone. And in that stage of the war, and most of the war, but especially in that final stage of the war, um, there are incredible stories of Japanese army battalions fighting to like the last man. It doesn't happen in modern warfare. In modern warfare, you have 30%, 40% casualties in your unit, and the unit begins to fall apart. Um, these Japanese units fought to like the last man. And there's all kinds of conversation about why that happened, but behind it was this idea that we know we're losing, but we're going to make it so miserable for you that you don't want to continue. I think this is exactly our enemy's strategy. I think our enemy knows he's losing. I think he knows he's been kicked out of heaven by the victory of Christ on the cross and the empty tomb. And I think he knows he's going to lose on earth, but he wants to make it as miserable as possible uh, in this in-between time. And so we get all this hard. We get all of the trials and tribulations in our life um, that our enemy hopes will just wear us down. So the call of the church for all of us today, but especially for those of you who are joining the church this morning, is to recognize that you're invited not just to be winners, um, but to be conquerors, to share in Christ's victory by sharing in His fight and fighting like He fought. When a boyfriend or a girlfriend says, hey, if you loved me, then you'd sleep with me. You'd let me do this. We come back and say, it's because I love you that I won't. I'll make myself less so you can be more. When our culture tells us having a significant other is essential to happiness, we come back and say, no, the only relationship that will never let me down and that I cannot live without and that's essential for my joy is that with my Savior Jesus. When the world comes and says, um, your value comes from how many friends you have on Facebook or how many retweets or upvotes you get or um, how your crafted social media image compares to your friend's social media image. We come back by saying, no, what we need is one Christian friend with whom we can be absolutely honest about who we are. When our culture glorifies ultra-violent action heroes, we point to the greatest hero who took our violence upon himself instead of acting it out upon others. When our world tells us that swords and spears win wars, we point out that the most important war ever was won with three nails and a crown of thorns. And we say, yeah, we know the hard's going to come. But because Jesus has already won, we're going to fight like He fought, and we're going to trust that we can win like He won. And there, there's something really, really important uh, in the Christian life about recognizing the heart is going to come, recognizing uh, that we're going to win the way Jesus won, and, um, and sort of preparing our hearts and minds for the hard when it shows up. So I got a stupid illustration for you. Um, I don't know if you can see this or not. This is a screw with a washer on it, Okay. And um, this is a, um, 
This is a real important screw in my life. So I, I don't know, two, three months ago, um, back when it was miserably cold and everything was terrible and there was snow on the ground. Um, oh, wait, was that last week? I don't remember. Anyway, um, fairly recently, uh, I drove into my house. It was a below zero day and there was snow everywhere. It might have been snowing. I can't remember. And uh, I got out of my minivan and I looked uh, at my, my car. I thought something looked weird about it. And I walked around and I saw that one of my tires was going flat. And I um, found this screw in the tire. So I said, all right, well, I don't, I, this is not the end of the world. I can, I can deal with this. But I'm going to be honest. I was a little irritated. Right? Um, all right, God, I had a long day, did a lot of stressful things, just ready to come home and have dinner and relax with my family. But okay, we'll do this. So I um, come inside, um, put my stuff down, change clothes, put my coat and gloves back on because it's that cold in my garage, go outside, uh, find the, the uh, lug nut wrench thing, and I'm really... <laughs> I'm really technical-minded, and uh, find the car jack, jack up the car, try taking the, taking the lug nuts off the wheel. And I got four of them off, and it's hard, but I got four of them off. And the fifth one will not come, okay? And I'm not even kidding you. I, I have the, what is it called, the lug nut wrench thing? Um, uh, the tire iron. I have the tire iron uh, on the last lug nut. I got my hands on the, the car um, bike rack, and I am jumping up and down trying to get the lug nut to come off. I cannot do it. At this point, it's possible I lost some of my composure. <laughs> and I come in, and I am just in a foul mood. I can't believe this is happening, and i got to do this tonight, and it's such a disaster. And I go to my wife, who is um, sometimes um, the uh, voice of reason in our family, uh, and she says, it's okay, it's okay, let me think about it. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a problem because it's too cold. What if I get a hairdryer and I put the hairdryer in the lug nut. And I'm like, honey, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. So we go outside because I'm just so angry. I'm fuming. And she's like, well, let's just try it, honey. Just calm down. Uh, she gets her hairdryer. And for maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds, she runs the hairdryer on full heat on the lug nut. Says, okay, honey, try it now. It's not going to work. And it just pops right off. <laughs> yeah. So I got the wheel off, put the spare tire on, took this wheel to the repair shop. Next day or whenever it was done, uh, they gave me the repaired tire and they gave me the stupid screw that was in it, right? Here's the point. It would be great uh, if the hard never happened, right? It would be great if you could come home from work and everything just went swimmingly. It's not gonna. And the question is, when the hard comes, how do you respond? I thought about this later. I thought, hey, it's below zero outside. There's snow everywhere. I have a flat tire. And where did I discover my tire was flat? In my garage. That was pretty great, right? Uh, I had a lug nut that I swear to you could not be removed by force of human hands um, that needed a hairdryer to have it removed. What did I have at my home? I had a woman who was smart enough to know that. And I had a hairdryer and a plug, right? What if I was on the side of the road? And I thought later, you know, God, as bitter and angry as I was about the little bit of hard that happened to me, what a blessing that it happened the way it happened. And I thought, isn't this what the Christian life is about? It's about recognizing when the hard comes, will I conquer it or will it conquer me? Right? Will I approach the hard stuff in my life? And this is a stupid illustration. The hard stuff in your life is going to be a lot harder, right? It's going to be broken relationships. 
going to be financial crisis. It's going to be uh, a diagnosis from your doctor that you never wanted to hear. It's going to be tough stuff, right? When it comes, will I approach it with the mentality of, I don't deserve this hard thing to happen, or will I approach it with the mentality of saying, ah, I'm a warrior for Christ. Of course, the hard is going to come, but in Christ, I can conquer the hard because He's already won the battle. Paul says, um, we are more than conquerors, for nothing can separate us from Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, There's a story in Exodus chapter 17 um, where Moses and the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. They've left Egypt, but they haven't yet made it to Mount Sinai. And they get attacked by a, a clan of people, and they, they go into battle. And Moses goes on a mountain. Remember this story? He goes on a mountain, and he raises his hands in the air with his staff, and Joshua leads the army. And as long as Joshua is out there in the field, and Moses' hands are up with his staff, the Israelites are winning. But when Moses gets tired, his hands look down, he can't hold them over his head anymore, and the Israelites start losing. And so two of his friends, Aaron and Hur, come and they hold his hands up. And as long as Moses' hands are up, the Israelites win. They hold them up long enough for them to win the battle. It's a weird story. But the point of that story is um, that the winner of the battle isn't the swords and the spears of the Israelites, right? It's the power of the God who is behind them. So then Jesus comes along and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to win this battle. Uh, You're going to have a lot of hard. I invite you to be conquerors like me in my image. I invite you to come and be part of this work uh, under my hands. And I'm going to hold up my hands. And as long as my hands are up, you can conquer. And it doesn't take friends to hold his hands up. But under his hands, we're an army that can't lose. I'm not saying the hard won't come. The hard's going to be really hard. I'm just saying that you're going to win even if you die from it. You're going to win. For they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they did not cling to life even in the face of death. This is what it means to be followers of Jesus. We are warriors in the war that Christ is winning. We share in His victory when we share in His fight and His cross and His resurrection. The hard's going to come but the heart is what makes it great. Thanks be to God.